Hi everyone, my name is Kate Emerald, the founder of Life of Emerald. Life of Emerald is for your mind, body, and soul, a simple and practical lifestyle to promote both physical and mental well-being. It is an online studio scaling global impact by spreading world knowledge of spirituality and cultures. Global Healing World in 2020 is dedicating to mental health advocacy. And today our guest is Dr. Adrian McKeon. Hi, Dr. Adrian. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It is our pleasure. Dr. Adrian McKeon is a professional storytelling coach, brand aligner, podcaster, published author, and content creator who delights in using her PhD in drama to help people spin the murky scrolls of life experience into narrative gold. She is the creator and host of the That's Allowed podcast, where she uses her unique story discernment process to help folks tell the stories they're not telling and get their message, message to those who needed to hear. Her new book, Melting Ivory, chronicles her perilous time in West Africa, the even more perilous marriage that followed, and her ultimate liberation not only from that relationship but from the mindset that kept her from inhibiting her true power. Wow, welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Dr. Adrian, let's jump into the first question. Could you please share with our audience how you contribute your talent and time to the world? Absolutely. So as you mentioned in there, one of the things that I do is that I am a story coach, which a lot of people don't really know what that means or what that is. And what that is, is that I help people find the stories that are locked inside of them. And when you have a story locked inside of you, it often colors your world without you being aware of it. You're living that story, but you aren't aware of it. And so what I do is I help people become aware of that story as a story that they have locked inside of them. And I help them bring it outside of them and give it a shape and give it a, a holding <laughs> so that people can then give it to the people who need to hear it and can use that as a beacon or a guiding force in their lives. Because when you've already lived a story and you keep it locked inside of you, it wants to come out and so it causes you problems. Until you can get it outside of you and get it to the people who need to hear it, it's going to cause you problems. <laughs> and so what I do is I help you find those stories and I help you get them to the audience that really needs to hear them. And I do that in a number of ways. The main way that I do that right now is my podcast, but I also do that as a private coach and as a brand aligner. And what I mean by that is that I help people figure out what their authentic voice is, what their true origin story is, and I help them get that out into all of their promotional materials and everything for their brand so that they're really living in alignment across all areas of their life. Yeah, um, Dr. Adrian, could you, in your opinion, could you share the importance of story in, in, in traditions, in ancient, ancient history, and why story sometimes gets trapped and the, in our system, perhaps, yeah. and by you giving permission for the uh, storytellers to tell the story, almost like you're getting the clothes out of the closet. And mm -hmm. what is the importance of story in learning and living life? 
we live stories. That's the only way that we can really understand the world and ourselves and each other is through stories. We think in narratives. It's very difficult for us to understand abstract thought. And so that's why we often use analogy and we often use narrative to make sense of things. When you read a book, if it's just dry, you know, instructions or, you know, philosophizing with big words, it's really hard for you to kind of hook into it and, and emotionally latch onto it. To understand something, we have to think of it in terms of our own life experience. And when we see something as, oh, I've experienced something like that, suddenly it clicks for us and we get it. And we can relate to that person who's telling us this story and we can empathize with them on a new level now. And so when a story gets trapped inside of us, not only are we not sharing it with the people who could actually hook into it, get some understanding from it, and then connect with us, it actually separates us from ourselves because we don't see that story anymore. It becomes part of our framing of the world instead of a story that we can look at and say, oh, that happened. And I often say, I like to change the phrasing of this happened to me to this happened for me. When you're able to make that shift, I find it's really empowering. So when you can look at it, something say, oh, this is something that happened for me then it's something that you can look back on and go, wow, I'm so glad that happened, even though it was painful, even though I, you know, suffered <laughs> at the time, because that brought me to this, that brought me to this learning, to this understanding. The only way we learn and the only way we grow is from being in uncomfortable places, <laughs> putting ourselves into uncomfortable places. Otherwise, we'd just sit on our comfy couch all day and watch Netflix, and we would never grow or change. <laughs> hmm. I understand the, you know, the growth comes with uh, something uncomfortable, and it's really paradoxical. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dr. Adrian, could we get to know you a little bit more? Please tell us one or two personal story which has shaped your worldview today. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to tell you one that is in the book. Um, it happens about, I'd say, halfway through the book, actually. And so I, I was living in Africa and I was staying with a family. And I wanted to stay with a family because I really wanted to understand what life was like for them. I did not want to just stay in a hotel and not have any contact with actual African people and the way that they lived. And so I lived in their home and I lived by their rules. And what I discovered very quickly is that women in that culture had a very drastically different life than I had. They were expected to basically do everything for the men <laughs> and not only that but they were not allowed to come and go as they pleased they were very much controlled by the men in their lives they could not just go for walks by themselves they had to be chaperoned pretty much everywhere that they went even if they were just going to the market or something like that and this was a really really drastically different experience 
than what I had had growing up because I was a latchkey kid, if you know what that means. Basically, it means I would come home from school and nobody would be home until, you know, after dinner, basically. And so I was on my own a lot of the time. And I know a lot of people in the United States in my generation had that same experience. And so getting used to that was really, really tough for me. And I also learned that a lot of the girls, in order to get their needs met, were sneaking out and seeing boyfriends on the sly. It was kind of known but not known, you know, like in the olden days when everyone kind of had a, you know, an affair on the side, nobody really talked about it. It was just sort of understood that this was what was going on. And so people sort of knew this was happening, but nobody wanted to look at it. Nobody wanted to talk about it. And so I ended up doing this actually a couple of times. The first time I got caught pretty much right away because I wasn't very good at it. (laughs) And then the second time um, I was seeing someone who was actually in the troupe that I was working with, the theater troupe. And that was a big no-no. You weren't supposed to be seeing someone within the, the troupe. And so uh, there was a there was a coup d'état, and the president was ousted. And this had been the most stable country in this region for a very long time. So it was a big shock to everybody, and everyone was really freaked out. And it was a lot like what's going on right now, where it was just sort of unprecedented, and nobody knew how to handle it, and everyone was really scared and didn't want to leave their their homes. And so, and there was a couvre-feu, which is where we get the word curfew. And so you literally were not supposed to be going outside, but I was supposed to go and meet my boy that I wasn't supposed to be seeing. And so I snuck out (laughs) and this was on uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, And I was walking to his house. And as I was walking, there was, basically nobody out there. There was, you know, a very few people out in the street, which was unusual. And then I saw something that just, it was so far outside of my realm of understanding that for a minute, I genuinely didn't understand what I was looking at. It was just complete cognitive dissonance. But this truck, a flatbed truck was coming around the corner and it was full of these military guys. The military had taken over and they had, you know, crisscross strings of ammo over, you know, they had stripped their shirts off and were whipping them around their heads. They had AK-47s and they're shooting in the air and they're drinking this stuff called bumse, which is like a really strong, basically bathtub gin straight from the bottle. And I'm looking at this and just going like, this looks like something out of a bad movie. You know, this does not seem real. Like, does this really happen? Is this actually happening? And so I'm watching these guys coming closer and closer towards me. And one of them yelled out Ajwa, which was my African name. And I would, I'd been on TV. In fact, I had been on TV dancing for the president uh, <laughs> just a couple of weeks before that. Um, and so a lot of people knew who I was and knew my name. And so for a minute, I thought, oh, great. Like, they just see me and they know who I am. And so I'm going to be fine because, you know, everybody likes Ajwa, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, they got these really angry looks and they started turning their guns toward me. And it didn't occur to me at the time, though I put it together later, that having seen me dance for the president, 
probably put me in this category in their minds of traitor. And it hadn't even occurred to me that I was in danger until that moment, until I was actually looking at these guys point with their guns pointed at me. And at this point, where am I gonna go? You know, there's no place to hide. Uh, the boy that I was going to see came running out and saw me and sort of gestured like, you know, come here, wait, no, stay there. Wait, no, go over, I don't know. And so I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and we're totally panicked and he's way too far away to do anything. And then someone grabbed me from behind, a man. And he put me on the ground and he climbed on top of me. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna be raped right in front of this guy who I love, who can do nothing, you know, to save me. And the crazy part was that in that moment, I was most concerned with his trauma, that he was going to have to deal with this trauma later on. And having strangers shoot at me was like way outside of my range of understanding, but rape, that one I knew. And so I was just sort of mentally preparing myself for this experience when I realized, no, no, he's not raping me. He's saving my life. This total stranger has climbed on top of me and is literally sheltering my body from the bullets that are now raining down upon us. And I, I did get some shrapnel in my leg, but that was it. And afterwards, he literally disappeared. I mean, he got up and I looked around and I could not see him. And so I'm not 100% convinced that he was not just a guardian angel or something, right? Like, I have no idea where he came from. There was no one else out there. And I have no idea where he went. Complete mystery to me. But so much happened for me in that moment where I grew up so quickly and realized how sheltered I had been for all of my life and realized that, you know, we have no idea what is good or bad. We have no idea who is safe or dangerous. We really have no control over just about anything except our experience of what happens. And so I realized, you know, I can walk away from this feeling like a victim who just got shot at, or I can walk away from this feeling like, wow, what an incredible experience. I just got saved by a complete stranger who had no, you know, like nothing to gain from this. <laughs> and so that's, isn't that something? <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I chose to hold on to from that experience. And uh, so another story. <laughs> Wait, let me let me pause you. Yeah, 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 yeah. This story is something. Um, I, I'm lis- I'm listening to you. I'm living vicariously through you. Yeah. And does not do just doesn't do justice what you went through on that spot and I hear you say that incident helped you grow a lot Mm -hmm. and there's so many components to this story which adds dynamism and that stranger 
was he a guardian angel? You know, this is quite possible. Yeah, quite possible. And and you mentioned that you were you have been sheltered, and I'm listening to you, and I'm I'm questioning that phrase. Are you have you really been sheltered? I don't think so. This incident in Africa that you experience is beyond sheltered experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it could be it could be my background as well. But the the word key word I heard from you is cognitive dissonance. And I love to tie back after your second story. Yeah. What the role? What what is the role of the cognitive dissonance in your story when you were in that space? So, yeah. Um, feel free to share what what comes up for you, and then yeah. Yeah. Well, so now that you're saying that, I'm thinking of uh, another scene that actually uh, happens in the book. I was going to give you something not in the book, but now that you said that, I, I think this ties in really well, which is that so that that man who I became very trauma bonded with through that experience, I felt very close to him because of what had happened, and he felt like a savior of a kind to me, and because of that. I allowed myself to become controlled by him in a number of ways, and over time, I started to see that he was becoming very abusive to me. But it happened so slowly, and it happened so subtly over such a long period of time that it was like, you know, I suddenly looked around and realized I was the proverbial frog in the pot of boiling water. And I thought, how did I get here? I never thought. That I was going to be that person who ended up in an abusive marriage, and <laughs> you know, when I look back on it and I read back through the book, it's like I see how it happened little by little and how my boundaries got pushed and pushed and pushed, just little by little. And I accepted it, and I accepted it, and I accepted it every time, because the idea of sending this man, you know, we had to escape the country together. And the idea of sending this man back to a country that was in the middle of a civil war just seemed unconscionable. And so, even though he was taking out on me all of his fear and anger and frustration, I kept empathizing with him. And putting myself in his place and saying he doesn't mean it; he's not intending to do this. And that's true. But the thing is. That what you put up with, you end up with, and it got to the point where he, one day, <laughs> lost his temper and threatened me with a knife. He kicked over the dining room table, he kicked over the chairs, and he had a knife right in my face. And again, I had that moment of cognitive dissonance, which actually kind of saved me in that moment because I didn't panic. And I didn't get scared. I was able to kind of separate myself from what was happening, and see it almost as if from above, almost as if I was outside of my body watching this scene happen, like a scene from a movie. And I was able to think through, you know, what <laughs> what would this character do <laughs> in this scene? And so I 
I was very sort of strangely detached in that moment. And I remember I looked down at my hands and I was looking at the little veins in my hands and how they actually spelled capital letters. It was like Y-A-Y. Yay. It's my death day. Happy death day to me. And I, <laughs> and it was funny, like I was amusing myself and sort of keeping my spirits up through this experience that was happening around me. And I think it's beautiful that we are, as humans are able to do that, are able to step out for a moment and see our story as just a story mm. and see this game of life as just a game. <laughs> I love that. I love that philosophy. We're playing a video game, sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, okay, this is my big boss battle. And this is where I have to win or I die. And if I win, then I can level up. You know, but I'm kind of out of lives here. So I really have to, I really have to get myself out of this. And so what happened? So what happened that night is that I basically talked him down, but it took a long time. And he, uh, he, so I, I, the whole time that we had been together, he had been completely paranoid and convinced that I was seeing someone else. And the irony of that is that it drove me to actually start seeing someone else <laughs> because I was so miserable with this, you know, relationship. And I was so scared of him that I needed someone else to talk to <laughs> about what was going on in my life. And so I started having an affair with one of my professors. I was a graduate student at the time. And so how this all went down is that he had figured out that I was seeing someone else. And so that's why he was threatening me with the knife. And so what I did was I you know, I, I convinced him, basically, I, I very slowly started meeting out information. He kept asking me, you know, who is it? And all of this. And so I just little by little, I would like give him just a little bit. <laughs> I was stretching this out as long as I could, right? I felt like Scheherazade, you know, telling the stories in A Thousand and One Nights. Because I knew that if he got the end of the story, if he got all the information, then he'd be done with me. And so I had to stretch this out and make it as entertaining and interesting as I could. So here I was telling him the story of how this all happened. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was really strange. And so he eventually about, you know, around dawn, a little before dawn, I think, got out of me who it was. And he found his phone number, which I didn't even know I had but he looked through all my school notebooks and it was written in one of them. And he had written it in there and said, just in case next to it, which I was thinking, this is not the case that he was hoping for, I'm sure. <laughs> but my husband called him up and his wife answered, naturally. And so there was this very tense, strange moment where he said, you know, I need to speak to the professor. Please put him on the phone. And the professor, being a very quick-thinking fellow, uh, he was going to Paris in a couple of weeks. And my husband has this French-African accent. And so he was able to convince his wife that this was someone from the hotel 
who was calling to check on his reservation. And that's why they got the time wrong. And so they called in the middle of the night. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how much of the story you want. I mean, it goes a long, on a long way from there, but you can read it all in the book, of course. But I did survive that night. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> what is the book title? It's called Melting Ivory. And the, mm -hmm. the subtitle I gave it is Life Happens For You, Not To You. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm, okay. So it, life happens for you, not to you. I'm sure there are many lessons you took away from that experiences. Yeah. Let's dive into that in our um, sets of questions that are following. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. Adrian, what is your understanding of the current state of planet Earth or the collective consciousness? The current state of planet Earth just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. When I look around and I see how we have treated our host planet, it's, it's heartbreaking. But I do see hope. I do see hope. And what's been very interesting is that this pandemic, as awful as it has been for so many people, it has been great for planet Earth. There has been so much recovery in the natural world because we have not been obsessed with having to get to this place and do this thing. And, and so I'm really hopeful that we can look at that and say, how can I keep that sustainably in my life? How can I live my life in a way that is more in tune with planet Earth? And I think there's so much consciousness opening up right now where people are realizing that life is not just about the paycheck life is not just about you know success by somebody else's definition and if we can really get down to that soul voice that intuitive voice that tells you what life is really all about and put our focus there on connection and on understanding and on giving our gift to the world, I really think we can build something so much better than what we had before all of this happened. Let's tie, tie back to your story. Yeah. What year was that experience you were married and gone point to that you don't know that? What year was that? Oh, that was in 2001. Okay. Um, yeah. So 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're from America. And so American person living in West Africa, mm -hmm. 2001, having experienced all that dynamic life experience mm -hmm. and tying back to 2020, what you shared, the collective consciousness and Mother Gaia, Mother Earth, benefited by the pandemic in a way that is supporting the nature rather than humans. Mm -hmm. What is your dynamic view, worldview, um, in terms of the Western culture and the African mm -hmm. culture and how it amalgamates, you know, it meshes yeah. and it, everything's interconnected and really important that we 
understand different cultural、um, way of working because、Absolutely. the cognitive cognitive dissonance is a real thing. Yes, Nikolai, tell us about that. Yeah. So when I had first gone to Africa, I had already lived in Europe, and so it was not the first culture that I had been to that was a little different from my own. But it was so vastly different than any of the cultures that I had experienced before, and part of that was because they had such a big emphasis on hospitality and on human connection. And this focus on family and friends, and that was absolutely the most important thing, because in that culture, if you went to visit someone, you know, back in the day, you were crossing jungle. You were, you know, <laughs> this was not just popping over to say hi. You know, it was a long ways, and it was dangerous, and it was scary. And so, when you went to visit someone, you really meant it. You really wanted to go and see that person, you know. And so once you arrive, it was a celebration, always. And they, I love this tradition. What they did was at at night after they finished eating, they would leave a little bit of food. They would not finish the meal completely. They would leave a little bit of food and cover it just in case someone showed up in the middle of the night hungry, so that they would have something to offer them. That's how deeply ingrained hospitality is into their culture. When I explained to people that, let's say, I showed up at you know a relative's house, like my aunt,、uh, without telling her in advance that I was coming to visit, she would be well within her rights by our cultural standards to say, "I don't have room for you. You're going to have to stay in a hotel." They were horrified by that idea. The very idea of that was like your aunt, your actual like blood relative, would do that. Like yes, and it's just such a different way of living, you know. On the other hand, I came to appreciate so much more the the autonomy that I had as a woman in the United States. That there are so many places on this earth. Where just being a woman means that you do not get to make decisions for yourself about your own life. You don't get to have your own money and your own land and your own life. And so, these things that I had completely taken for granted, I started to realize: Wow, that's really, really important to me. And it's really, really important to me that my kids have that. And so, it really made me think about, you know. What kind of parent do I want to be, and what kind of environment do I want to raise my children in?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to say about the privilege and freedom, and taking it for granted. And、yeah. hearing you tell a story about how culturally different in West Africa is in terms of the women's rights and men's rights, it's.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the idealism in me wants complete balance. In, in, of course, in, even in America, like, there's a patriarchy. There's yes imbalance.、Mm-hmm. What, you, what you're sharing is that even with the imbalance in American culture, is an upper hand compared to Western Africa.、Mm-hmm. 
And even in the imbalanced patriarchal society in America, you're like prompt to, you're prompted to see the gratefulness in it, right? <laughs> the third layer of this is it's 2020, if it, the universe has in store for us to reshuffle the deck, right? Yeah. We need this done all yes. across the world. Yes. We need that balance and we need to recognize again what's really important here. That, you know, making a bunch of money is not going to make you happy. It is not going to make a long-term impact that is positive on what really matters to us as humans. And, you know, I'm not... I don't really know what's actually important to the universe because I can only see this tiny little fraction of the universe, right? It's like one tiny little itsy bitsy little thing. But what I have experienced of it and what I know of it is that if you're not focused on love, if you're not focused on connection, you are missing out. You are missing out on all the good stuff in this world. And I just feel sorry for you. <laughs> so let's let's shine a positive light on the West Africa uh, amidst your story. I, mm-hmm. I see love there. Could you share one, like one thing that West African does really well? Oh yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, hospitality is a huge one. I'll give you an example. I was traveling and I met this guy um, who was from Bamako and he gave me his business card and he said if you're ever in Bamako you know give me a call Um, you're very welcome to stay at my place and I was like that's weird but okay cool well fast forward to months later I ended up in Bamako unexpectedly and the person I was supposed to stay with totally flaked out on me and so I called this guy And he sent his kids over to get my luggage and walk me over to his house. His wife had dinner ready for me. You know, we played games. They put a mattress out on the roof and I got to sleep out under the stars. And in the morning, they drove me to the train station. Total stranger, I had met him once, you know? But that's just their culture. That is completely normal to them. They love to meet new people and to make new connections. And they recognize that people are everything. People are the game, you know? When you connect to other people and, and to the earth, you know, they, they care for their they care for their animals, they care for the 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 land that they live on and respect it in a way that I think we have a hard time like wrapping our brains around. Uh, I learned a ton from them just in terms of, and also about storytelling. They have these beautiful folk tales and this beautiful oral tradition that is just so rich. And it's really a shame that it's dying out now because it's there's something about the human voice using the voice to tell a story that that puts another layer of meaning into it that you can't really get when you read it off a page absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. there's the essence of the there's an energy in the voice sort of like yeah. a soul mm-hmm. narrating mm-hmm. The, 
paper, the written words. And so、yeah. I have to ask you, what do you are you working on your audio book or the ivory、uh, melting ivory? Yes. So I'm actually a voiceover artist. That's one of the things that I do. And so I'm in the middle of recording someone else's audio book at the moment, which is about thirty chapters long. And so I have to finish that before I can <laughs> start my own audio book. But it's definitely next on my list. Great,、mm, Dr. Adrian. Let's go to our. Fourth question: Could you please share one simple, practical thing that our audience can implement in their lives right now? Absolutely. So this is one that I've been using a lot lately, and I just absolutely recommend that everyone do this. And what it is is I've created a little image for myself, which represents my ideal state of being. I decided that the most important thing for me right now is to be in flow. Do you know what I mean by inflow?、Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted an image that would represent me really feeling in flow. And so what I did was I closed my eyes and I came up with this representation. And for me, it was just I'm a I'm a fairy. I have these little wings, and I'm sitting in a flower petal that is floating down a river. And I'm just the sun is warm on me. And I'm lying there completely relaxed, and these little butterflies come and sometimes land on me just to say hi, and they share their little stories with me, and then they fly off to share their story with somebody else. And so every time I get out of flow, every time I feel a little bit off, I come back to that image, and it just immediately. Puts me right back into that space, and I'm able to feel that feeling of relaxed readiness and joy, and just being exactly where I'm supposed to be, going exactly where I'm supposed to go effortlessly. And so, I really encourage everyone out there to take a moment and to think about what do you want to feel in your life more than anything right now? What is that core desired feeling? That you just need more and more of, and then get a a mental image in your mind that makes you feel that, that helps you get right to that feeling, and describe it in your mind as you know as clearly as you can. Write it down if you want to draw a picture, and it really helps also if you go to the internet and find like images that kind of remind you of it. So that you can get a visual representation that's just really, really clear, and print it out and kind of put it on your wall. And so every time you get a little bit off or lost, you can just look right at that, and it'll bring you right back there. Wow, this is wealth coming from you、uh, for our audience. Yeah. And thank you for this. <laughs> You're so welcome. Yeah.、Um, You know, it keeps me bring it. Keep, it brings me back to your story because it was so vivid. I want to go back to one more time,、um, yeah. and we tie it into let's tie your visualization going in the flow.、Mm-hmm. Our your story in the in the past two two thousand one. Yeah,、and、I am aware of the power of the mindset shift, and also imagery and imagination is more. Valuable than knowledge. Albert Einstein said that. Yeah. So if we were to sort of design right now, to sh- to shift 
your story by imagining the flow right now and taking you back to that past, 2001. What are you recreating it? Could we do that together? So if I had been in flow, if I had been able to kind of effortlessly just be who I was and not be dancing on eggshells, not be, you know, Scheherazade telling these stories, I think I would have been able to have that boundary and just say, no, this is my boundary and not not allow it to be pushed, not say, oh, well, you know, he's just making excuses for him and, and, and where he's at and why he's pushing this boundary. Instead, recognize that by allowing him to do that, by allowing him to push back my boundary, not only am I doing a disservice to myself, I'm doing a disservice to him because he's not getting the consequences of his own actions and he's not learning the lessons that he needs to learn in his life to grow and to improve. And so when you don't allow other people to have the consequences of their own actions, you're forever keeping them a child in a way. And that's not really fair to them. So when I look back and I think about that, I think that's the thing that was really missing was that connection to my authentic self. I got so wrapped up in paddling madly and trying and trying and trying to make things okay and to fix him and to fix us and to fix everything that I wasn't able to see what I needed and what I wanted. And that was the missing ingredient to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. me being able to say no this is this is what I need in my life to be happy and either he can accept that or he can't so Dr. Adrian this is very very insightful because we're so are they there's a social construct social narrative that what you know now what you needed in the past Mm -hmm. is Sort of selfish but it is not right and i hear the wisdom of by standing your ground and putting a boundary what works best for you mm-hmm. actually is helping the other person yes oh thank you for this yeah yeah it took me a long time to learn that but it is such an important lesson i could talk to you forever but let's <laughs> <laughs> For our audience listening, um, please could you share best our best way our audience can contact you and or follow you? Absolutely. So my website is that's allowed and it's spelled A-L-O-U-D dot com and there you can find pretty much all of my things there's a page for the podcast there's a page uh, with uh, my writings and my book is in there Um, But you can also find my podcast pretty much anywhere that you look for podcasts by just typing in That's Allowed. Uh, And the book is called Melting Ivory. And you can find it on Amazon as Kindle or as a paperback. Excellent. Excellent. Mm. Dr. Adrian, this is where we say see you later. And (laughs) I don't want to 
want to let you go, but we we got to. Um, hopefully, we can stay in touch. And um, for our audience listening, I can be reached at www.lifeofemerald.com, and you can email me lifeofemerald at gmail.com. And Dr. Adrian, I would insert your um, resources in our website. And yeah. If, 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 if it's meant to be, I'd love to welcome back to our studio and speak about a particular topic um, yeah. around um, perhaps like marriage and relationship and different cultural understanding, things like that. That's a, that's a, a kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a topic in itself. So. Definitely. Definitely. I would love to come back be happy uh, to discuss whatever you want to discuss because you're wonderful and I really really appreciate what you do likewise Dr. Adrian all right everyone here's where we say see you later bye